The title of the series is Preparing for Promotion. Preparing for Promotion. And um, I want you to turn in your Bibles or your Bible apps to go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel 16. Here's what we're going to do in this series. We're actually going to go through the life of David from the sheep pen to when he had the crown put on his head. Because there was a process of things that took place. And, 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 and David was anointed as a young shepherd, but he didn't take the throne immediately. And I believe that in all of our lives here, I believe there's an area of our life where God wants to promote you. Relationally, financially, with a dream, in the area of ministry, with an anointing. So by a show of hands, how many of you in here, seriously, now don't just raise your hand because I'm telling you we're in church, but you seriously, with all of your heart, sincerely believe there's an area of your life right now where you are not supposed to stay the rest of your life. There's an area of your life where God wants to promote you. Raise your hand, honestly. If you can't think of one right now, I promise you when the series is over, you'll think of one. It may be, it may be in a relationship. And so you think, well, I got it. Good, I got money coming in. But it doesn't matter. If you're still breathing, God wants to take you further. If you're still breathing, God wants to do more in your life. There's a dream. There's a promise. There's something he wants you to grow in. He wants to promote us. We have a memory verse in this series that we're going to quote every single Sunday throughout the series because it takes, the Bible says, to renew your mind in the Word. It takes a lot to really, really, really get something on the inside. So our memory verse is Psalms 75, verse 7, and I want us to read it good and strong all together. Ready? Read. Promotion does not come from the north, south, east, or west, but God puts one down and lifts up another. So here's what that's basically telling us. If you're not getting promoted today, it's not your boss's fault. Well, he doesn't like me, and if he would just like me, then I would, whoa, 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 promotion doesn't come from your boss, it comes from God. Well, if we had a different president, then my business would probably do better. Whoa, 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 are you saying that God is less powerful than the president of the United States? If you're not being promoted today, it's nobody else's fault. You can't point the blame to anyone else in whatever area of your life that you are staying stagnant in or not receiving your dreams in life that God's put inside of your heart. So we can't blame other people. Now, here's what I want to show you about this series. The secular world has a bunch of ways where you can climb the corporate ladder to receive promotion. And a lot of the things they do to receive those promotions and to climb the corporate ladder, a lot of those things are actually biblical steps. But... If you only look at it from a secular point of view, I want to tell you, you don't want to be promoted unless God does it. If you have to play up to the boss or do something like that to get to a particular position, you're going to have to play up to that boss the rest of your life to stay in that position. If you promote yourself by manipulating the system or things like that, you're not going to be fulfilled and you're going to lose that and get demoted at one point. But then the Christians over here on this side, they say, well, when God's ready to promote me, he'll promote me. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Well, that's ignorance. If you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting what you're getting. So there's something you have to do, some area you have to grow in, something you have to achieve so that you can get the promotion. But then you have to bring God along because you want God to open up the door because you want to stay in that place. In other words, you don't want God to bring a, you don't want, you don't want to get a friend in life that God didn't bring in your life. You don't want to marry somebody that God doesn't want you to marry. You don't want to take a job that God didn't open up, even if they offer more money. You say, well, they're offering so much money. Whoa, 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 but is it from God? Make sure that promotion is from God. If not, you're going to be miserable. I would rather make less money and enjoy my job than make more money and despise my job. So make sure the promotion, so that's what I'm trying to talk about in this series is we got to make sure that God's the one that promotes us, but that we're doing what we need to do to receive the promotion in life. Okay, so 1 Samuel 16, we're actually going to read the Bible every Sunday in this series. I know that's weird, 
but I, we're going to do it, okay? So we're going to study the life of David from the sheep pen all the way to the crown on his head, just reading through the chapters of his life. So 1 Samuel 16, it's going to be on the scripture. It's going to be on the board. We're going to read the first 13 chapters of David's life. Now, when I read the Bible and I study it, I read it word for word. But when I read it like I'm reading today, I just kind of read it as if it just happened in my life yesterday. So just follow along the best you can, okay? 1 Samuel 16, 1, God told Sammy, stop mourning for Saul. I found a new king. Sammy got upset and said, but what do I do? How do I get this going? He says, go to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem. And Sammy says, well, how can I do that? Because Saul's going to be upset. He's going to want to kill me. God says, Sammy, don't worry about it. In verse 3, just invite Jesse and all of his sons to a sacrifice in Bethlehem. Nothing's going to go wrong. I'm going to take care of you. Verse 4. In verse 4, Sammy did what God said. He went to Bethlehem, but when he got there, everyone in Bethlehem was scared to death because the prophet's in town. Remember we talked last week about how the prophet heard from God in the Old Testament? So when you saw the prophet, you're like, oh, please tell me he's not coming to me. Please tell me he's not coming to my house. Everybody was scared because they knew God usually sent the prophet to talk about wrath. And so Sammy told everybody in verse 5, it's okay, I just came to sacrifice to the Lord. I want Jesse and his sons to hang out with me. In verse 6, when they arrived, the oldest son of Jesse's Eliab showed up and Sammy said, said, whoa, surely this is the guy that God has anointed to be the next king. Now listen real close. I love the fact that God did not tell Sammy, the prophet, the details of, the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the, what was going on. He didn't say, I want you to go to the house of Jesse because David's the next king. In other words, I want you to see sometimes in life, God doesn't speak incredibly clear. Sometimes he gives us a vague direction and we're supposed to go in that direction and learn something from the experience. God said, go to Bethlehem, one of the sons, I'm not going to tell you which one. I want you to learn something. There's something I want you to see about this. In verse 7, God said, Sammy, I don't look at people the way people look at people. I look at the heart. In verse 8, so Jesse called his next son, because it wasn't Eliab, so he called Abacadabra, I can't pronounce it. And so Abacadabra showed up, and it wasn't him either. Then, the, then in verse 9, Jesse brought his other son, Shamanamanama, and so Shamanamanama came through, and it wasn't him either. Thank God Pastor Pam's not here. And so <laughs> then in verse 10, Jesse said, is there any, I mean, Sam said, you got any more kids? And Jesse said, all my seven sons have passed before you. In verse 11, he said, there's got to be another one here. And he said, well, I got my youngest son. He's just a shepherd. He's making minimum wage. He's out there in the fields all by himself. Sammy said, bring him here. In verse 12, they brought David, and he had a very cool appearance. He had some handsome features. I know what that's like. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. In verse 13, Sammy anointed him, and then Sammy went off back to his way of Ramah, and David went right back into the shepherd's fields. So the title of today's sermon in part one is this, Be Free from Excuses. Or be excuse-free if you're dyslexic. Whatever it is. <laughs> Here's what I want you to see about this scripture. If God wanted to promote you today, he would travel through the jungles of Africa. He would go through the hills of Asia, the waters of Europe. He would find you wherever you are if he wanted to promote you. So if you're not getting promoted in some area of your life today, it's not God's fault. It's not anyone else's fault. If you were in the shepherd's fields by yourself, God will make sure he sends some, and if there's not a position open for you, God will open a position for you if that's what it takes. So we can't spend our life blaming everybody else for the boat that we're in. It seems like society loves to point the fingers to others. We all want to complain because my parents, the way they raised me, that's why I'm not getting promoted. 
My lack of education, that's why I haven't seen these doors open. Well, it's because of my, my mistakes from the past. Listen, those are excuses. Those excuses are not bigger than God. None of those excuses are good enough to stay where you're at today. But there's something very important about this story. Just because David was anointed to be king didn't mean it was going to automatically happen. Just because God um, uh, wanted to promote him, just because God can promote him, just because God had a promotion for him, didn't mean it was going to happen. There were things David had to learn and grow in and go through. And now, I don't believe for y'all it's going to take as long as it took David. I believe that some of y'all, God's got the promotion just waiting. And if there's just there's something in your heart that needs to change, man, God would open up that door. But we got to be excuse-free. People say, well, I'm angry and upset, but it's because of the traffic. It's all of their fault. Well, I'm so offended at what my boss did to me. It's my boss's fault that I'm wearing my feelings on my sleeves. It's my boss's fault that I have unforgiveness in my heart. Well, I have this addiction, but I'm addicted because because my parents were addicted to it. I grew up in it. That's why. You mean to tell me that it's everybody else's fault why you are where you're at today? You have no responsibility in it? Seriously? Well, I can't tithe because I can't afford to tithe. Now, I can afford the new phone, and I can afford going out to eat, but I can't afford this. Now, I know I signed up to be a part of the short group, but I don't have time to do the homework. Whoa, you have the same time that everybody else who signed up has, the same exact amount of time. Well, I can't be on the music team because I don't have time to learn the songs. Whoa, listen, listen, you have 24 hours in a day, seven days a week, just like everybody else. What you really need to do is be honest and say, God, I have a problem. I either get offended too easy, I'm a liar, I sign up for things too quick, I'm a cheapskate, whatever you want to say, I'm fearful, but you got to bring it to God and say, I recognize I have a problem. It's not my mom's fault, my dad's fault, my brother's fault, my boss's fault. It's my fault that I'm not getting promoted today. Stop pointing the finger to everybody else. Don't you love that? I get to to stand and say whatever I want to. This is the greatest job in the world. (laughs) As long as we make excuses, we will never get past where we are today. Excuses are like crutches. They keep us from getting healthy and growing. And some people, they love it, their excuse. And it's a valid excuse. Well, my husband has this problem, or someone walked out of me, or I lost my job, or the hurricane. And and listen, some of those, those are valid excuses. But it shouldn't keep you where you're at. See, when you have an excuse, it's, it's almost, people love excuses sometimes because it's their, it's their reason that they're not prospering. And when someone asks you, well, how come this isn't happening in your life? Or how come this hasn't happened? And you just, you use your excuse. You take no responsibility. It has nothing to do with your choices. It's everybody else's fault. Genesis 3.12, um, after God went up to Adam and said, why did you eat the fruit I told you not to? The only thing I said not to do is the one thing you did do. Why? In verse 12, Genesis 3, the man said, The woman you put here gave me the fruit. She made me bite it. She made me swallow it. It's all her fault. Not only was he saying it was God's fault, the woman you put here is all your fault. So it's comical. God goes to Eve and says, Why did you eat the fruit? What's going on? Why did you give it to Adam? In verse 13, the woman said, I was tricked by the snake. It's the devil's fault. It's not me. Since then, humanity has been blaming everything they can possibly think of on why they're living in disobedience or why they're not where God wants them to be. Everything. We we blame everything you can think of. Um, (laughs) So funny, I have this friend who um, I've been inviting to church for years, years, every Saturday night. 
And one, a few months ago, one time he called me on Saturday and he said, listen, I promise you, tomorrow's the day I'm coming to church. Tomorrow's the day. So I was so excited. We, we came to church. He wasn't at the first service. I thought for sure he'd be at the second. Wasn't at the second service. I called him up at 12 o'clock. He was just waking up. God is my witness. He said to me this, John Paul, you're not going to believe this, but the devil made me sleep in today. I said, the devil doesn't make you sleep in five days a week when you wake up at seven o'clock and the devil just happened? The one Sunday you promised you'd come to church, that's the Sunday the devil made you sleep in. Over the years, I've had, I've had what I call sissy parents that come to me and they have a problem with their teenager. And I tell them, there's nothing I can do. You need to get the teenager in church. If you get them in church, then I'll get someone to mentor them, put them in a short group, get them serving in an area. You know, they say, well, I can't make my teenager come to church. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't make your teenager that lives with you come to church. No, we just can't make him go to church. Okay, so you can make your teenager wake up five days a week at 7.30 and go to school for eight hours, but you can't make him wake up at 10 o'clock on Sunday and come to church for one hour? Really? That's your excuse. You just can't do it. Man, excuses allow us to justify where we are. Excuses keep us right where we're at. They give us permission to settle for less than God's best. They give us permission to never grow. They give us permission to stay stagnant. Excuses, man, we got all, it's my parents' fault. It's society's fault. It's the way I look. It's my lack of money. Do you know that if God wanted to promote you today, if your heart was really ready to be promoted, you would be promoted and no, no, no demon in hell could stop it? Nobody on earth could stop you from being promoted if that's something that you were ready for. So the question is, what is God looking for? What's, what's he looking for for us to get to that next level? Well, the first thing is to throw away every excuse. Literally, just throw it away. I was watching TBN the other day. TBN is the Trinity... It's Christian TV. And so I was watching Christian TV, and um, this guy was on there, and he was talking about how he grew up with a dream to play the guitar and sing and write music. I mean, this was his dream, and he knew it was from God. One way you can tell, I believe, a dream is from God is if no matter what comes against that dream, you still have it in you. No matter what attacks you, no matter what says it's not going to happen, you still got it in you. And so this, this kid grew up with this dream, but here's the problem. He had no arms. He had no hands. Of course he had no hands. If he had no arms, he had no arms, hands or arms. And so he was thinking, well, maybe when I get to heaven, maybe that's my dream. Maybe when I get to heaven, that's when I'm going to play the guitar and sing and write music. One day out of the blue, he thought, you know what? I don't have any arms, but I got legs. Tony Melendez, great guy, he learned how to play the guitar with his feet. Man, this guy was playing classical music with one, he was strumming with one foot and doing all the notes with his other foot. Then he started singing along with it. I was amazed. How many people today are thinking, man, I, I just want to play the guitar, I want to be able to write music, but I don't have blah, blah, blah. Well, man, this guy didn't have any arms. What's your excuse? What's your excuse? Uh, um, I was reading a documentary on um, Ray Charles years ago, and this one guy, when Ray Charles first started his career and started getting picked up, this other guy was coming to him complaining that he never gets a gig and whatever, and Ray Charles told him, he said, I'm black, I'm blind, I'm poor, and living in Georgia, What's your excuse? You know, every one of us, if we want to, we could justify where we are, where, why we're at, where we're at. But that's not a good enough reason. We need to say, God, I recognize there's something in me. There's something that I need to change and grow and do. There's something you're trying to teach me. Am I honoring you financially? Do I have unforgiveness in my heart? 
Well, if my wife had done this to me, I wouldn't be so upset. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So it's her fault that you can't control your emotions? Really? In John chapter 5, there's a story about the, the pool of Bethesda. And this crippled man was laying by this pool. Now, this pool was a place where for s- several years, an angel would come by um, every season, just out of the blue. Right? No one knew the exact time. An angel would stir up the waters, and whoever was is sick, the first person in the pool, was like the lottery, the first person there, they'd be instantly healed of whatever ailment they had. Amazing miracle that took place. There was a guy, a crippled man, laying there, and Jesus was coming by. And in John 5, 5, in the Amplified, it describes his condition like this. He had a deep-rooted, and at first I thought it said a lingerie disorder, but that word is not lingerie. And then I thought, I need to get married quick. Anyway, it said he had a deep-rooted and lingerie disorder. <laughs> That's the funniest thing I ever heard. Isn't that hilarious? I was like, I'd, I'd look it up. I was like, what does that say? He had a deep-rooted and lingering, everybody say lingering, lingering. <laughs> disorder for 38 years. How many people do you know that have a disorder that's been deep-rooted on the inside, not physically, but this guy was also hurt emotionally? That's what it was saying. We know he was crippled. We see that, but the Bible tells us there was something else on the inside that he had buried. Maybe he got hurt. Maybe um, somebody walked out on him. Maybe he didn't like the fact that he was crippled and then it just caused him to wear, wear, uh, to have a chip on his shoulder. For whatever reason, he was suffering from a deep-rooted and lingering disorder for 38 years. And so Jesus came along. Jesus is walking by and he sees the guy there by the pool of Bethesda. And in verse 6, Jesus says to him, do you really want to be whole? Do you really want to? Of course he wanted to. He's laying by the pool where people are healed. Of course. It's obvious. But yet Jesus asked him anyway, do you really want to be a leader in church or do you just say you do? Do you really want to have a successful marriage or do you just kind of pretend like it? Do you really want God to bless your finances or just sometimes? Do you really want God to use you in great ways? Do you really want him to open up this door for a new business? Well, then how come you're not studying, learning, saving up money? Do you really want something or do you just like having an excuse for why you're at where you're at? And so this guy has his excuse for Jesus in verse 7. Lord, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. And every time I try to get in when the water starts, somebody else always gets there first. It's not my fault. It's society. It's not my fault. It's the way I was raised. It's not my fault. It's the things that happened to me when I was a kid. It's not my Listen. Everybody in this room has been hurt. Everybody in this room has gone through hell and back on earth. Everybody in this room has had somebody betray them, lie about them talk behind their back, everybody. If I took your situation and what you've been through, and I'm not making light of your, I'm not making light of it, but I just, I just want you to learn to throw away every excuse. If I took a thousand people who had been raised just like you, went through some of the same situations, and, 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 and they're prospering, and they're being promoted, and God's using them, and these things are happening, then you can't say that your excuse is good enough if I could find a thousand more people who have actually made it. Some of you, you should already have owned your own house by now. Some of you, you should already have a healthy relationship with somebody. Some of you, the dream should have already happened. The promotion should have already taken place. But the problem is you keep blaming everyone else around you instead of taking responsibility for your own life. How do you think Jesus responded to this guy's um, excuse? Do you think Jesus said, buddy, let me, let me pick you up and pray for you and just put you in the pool myself? Jesus looked at him. He ignored the excuse in verse 8, and he said, get up, pick up your bed, and walk. He was saying, man, throw away every excuse you have. 
Get up and go forward. Stop pointing the finger, playing the blame game. There's no one else to blame but yourself. Get up and do what I've called you to do. Stop looking behind you. I love the fact that he even made him bring his bed. I think that was to remind him where he was at. God wanted him to know, you used to be here. You better not ever be ungrateful for what I've done for you. Keep going forward. Whenever um, my, my, one of my kids was, was very, very, very young, maybe three or four years old, um, he had a make-believe friend. And he named this friend Bisho Mino. That's the name he had made up. I remember I walked into my son's room one day. He was three or four years old. He was talking to himself. And I said, well, who are you talking to? He said, I'm talking to Bisho Mino. And I thought, What? He's going, yeah, he's sitting right here with me. So I thought it was like a divine encounter. So I looked up on the internet. I was trying to find out what Bishomino meant. I thought I was going to say like son of God in one language or an angelic being or the one who brings peace. It don't mean nothing but Bishomino. I don't know how, but he made that name up. And so um, me, and, me and this particular son of mine, we were best friends when he was little. I mean, we went everywhere together. We did everything. He came with me to work. Best of friends. So I was kind of offended. I thought, why does he need a make-believe friend? He's got his dad. Like, we're best, we always hang out, best of friends. And so uh, we went to the pediatrician, and I asked the pediatrician, I was like, something's wrong. You know, my son, he's incredibly intelligent, very smart. He's already reading so well, but, but, but he has a make-believe friend. The doctor said, it's nothing to worry about. It's just, it'll pass, I promise you, just, just let it go, just ignore it. I thought, okay. And I still thought, why does he need this friend? I figured out why he wanted Bishamino in his life. He had somebody to blame things on whenever he did something wrong. One time I walked into my son's room and someone had taken a permanent marker and wrote my son's name on the bedroom wall of my son's bedroom. And the permanent marker was about four feet away from my son and I went in there and I looked at that and I said, what did you do? As sincere as you could imagine, with the most honest vocabulary, communication, I mean, just so sweet and precious. He looked at me and said, Daddy, I didn't do that. Bishomino wrote on my wall. I was furious. I said, what did you say to me? Now, if there had been any other grandparent in the room or someone babysitting, they would have really thought there was a real child hiding in that room named Bishomino. As sincerely as he said it, I said, what did you say? And he looked at me, God is my witness. He sat back and said, Dad, I think Bishomino needs a spanking. I said, you are darn right. So I grabbed Bishamino by the neck and I went down 17 bypass and threw him out the window and we never heard from Bishamino ever again. <laughs> now see, some of y'all, y'all don't have a make-believe friend in your life, but you have a Bishamino. You have somebody or some situation or something or some hurt from the past or something that happened in your life and you're blaming why you're not happy why you're not fulfilled, why you're not pressing forward, why you're not stepping up. You're blaming where you're at on your Bishomino. Ephesians 6, 13 says, put on the whole armor of God. It specifically says to tighten the belt of truth. To tight on a regular basis, we have to say, God, show us the truth about ourselves. Show me if, if, I'm, if I'm treating people bad, I want to know. If I'm slack in my commitments, I want to know. If I'm not using integrity, I want to know. If I'm manipulating people, I want you to show me. I don't want to stay where I'm at. I want to be promoted in life. One time, General Patton was looking for a successor, and he took his eight greatest men to test them because he wanted to take somebody in his group and promote them to a very high level of influence and authority. So these eight men he took out in some, some sandy area, and he, took, and he said, listen, guys, I need you all to dig for me 
an 11 foot wide by 11 foot deep trench right here. Then he turned around and General Patton walked off. General Patton then walked around some forest area, some debris, some brush, and he came back around where the guys were and he got down on the ground and listened and watched what went on. One guy out of the eight said, I can't believe he's asking me to do this. I'm a leader. Another guy said, how does General Patton expect us to get this job done in just a week's time? Another guy said, there's no way we can do this without the proper tools. There was one man out of the group that was already on his hands and knees with his bare hands just digging that trench as quick as he could. He told the other guys, he said, y'all be quiet. Get down here and let's get the job done. General Patton jumped out from behind the brush. He pointed to that one man and he said, I found my guy, the guy who's obedient to the task rather than make excuses for why the job can't get done. The first step to victory is to be able to take responsibility for our own life. What has God entrusted you with right now? What are the things you know he's called you to do? Are you making excuses for why you're not being obedient? Are you making excuses for why you can't honor God in a certain area of life? No matter what excuse you have, it's not bigger than God. That may be a good enough excuse for why you're in the situation you're in, but don't let that be an excuse to stay in the situation you're in. So I wanted to do something in closing that helped you remember this sermon for the rest of your life. And normally whenever I do something that's really crazy, this is probably a very bad idea, I normally call Pastor Pam and ask her for help, but um, you know, if, whether I should do it or not, and 50% of the time she talks me out of it, but she's not here today. So I figured I can do whatever I want to. And so um, today I was taking Pebbles out for a walk like I do in the morning. And um, Pebbles is my dog. And, you know, some of y'all, in life, you have this, this crap going on in your life. Really. Everybody else can see it. You wonder why you're not getting promoted and everybody at your work can see. All your family members can see. And for some reason, you pretend like you don't know what's really going on inside of your heart. And so... I went and got pebbles, and I want you to see, like, this stage is like the living room of your, of, of, of your life. And in the living room of your life, uh, if y'all can smell this on the front row, I apologize. But in the living room of your life, there's a big pile of poo. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, this should have been the stinking thinking series. The big pile of poo. Everybody see that? Okay, hold on. <coughs> Sorry. So you see this big pile of poop. This is in your life, right? And so you come to church, and here's what you do. That's right in the middle of your heart. You come to church, and you do this. The piano looks nice. My windows, I want to make sure I clean my windows. The outside of my house, because that's what everybody sees. You know, that's, I want to make sure that's clean over here. The floor looks good. And right in the middle, you got this big pile of poo. And you think, man, I'll deal with that some other time. And then you blame everybody else for why you're not growing. And God wants so bad to clean out the pile of poo, but you just ignore it. You just walk around and do all the other things, you know, the, the more superficial stuff. And maybe I'll just look good and maybe I'll fix this because people know this in my life and da-da-da. And you hide the thing from God that he wants to change so bad in your life. And you go around acting like you have no idea, no idea there's a big pile of poo right in the middle of your heart. Can you all smell that from the front row? I apologize. Let me get rid of that. I'm so sorry. Okay, so, you act like, (laughs) 
You act like you don't know what God wants to change in your life. John 8, 32 says, the truth is what makes you free. Listen, it's not the truth about somebody. Don't y'all give this away to the second service, okay? <laughs> Some of those older people in the second service, they'll, they'll, they'll pass out. That'll be exciting. Let's, we'll, we'll, anyway, so... It's not the truth about your spouse that makes you free. It's not the truth about your kids that makes you free. It's the truth that God wants to deliver to you that will make you free. Now, the truth is a hard pill to swallow. It's going to be hard for you to hear that you may be incredibly prideful. It's going to be hard for you to hear that maybe you're not handling your finances correctly. It's going to be hard for you to hear that maybe you have a problem. But that's the only way we're going to be free is to recognize the truth. The last story is in Genesis chapter 32. It's about a man named Jacob. Jacob's name, in the, in the Bible, they didn't speak English. They, whatever language they spoke, whenever they said somebody's name, they were saying what it meant. In Genesis 32, the name Jacob means this, trickster, swindler, and schemer. And that is just how Jacob lived his life. He, he tricked his father from the, for the firstborn blessing. He schemed his way to eat with Esau to take the, the birthright for a pot of stew. Remember those stories? And then he tried to swindle his way out of, of a punishment by sending gifts and bribes to people that were coming to take care of some things in his life. I mean, he had spent his whole life like this, but here's the key. I don't think Jacob realized that pile of poo was in his heart. He had been that way for so long. It had been there for, for most of his life, so it's almost like he got used to it. It's just the way he was. He didn't even know really that he did these things. Here's the interesting thing. At the very beginning of Jacob's life, God said, I have promotion for you, man. You're going to touch nations. You're going to do great things. You're going to be an incredible leader. God said these things about Jacob's life, but up until this point, none of those things took place. Never happened. I think it's because Jacob never took responsibility for his own life and his own actions. I think that's why. One day, Jacob recognized there was something wrong. He thought, God said I was going to do great things. God said he had a great plan for my life. He said he was going to promote me in amazing ways. Maybe there's something in my life that needs to change. Maybe there's something that I need to take a step of faith in. So Jacob sent his family away. He sent his staff away. And Jacob got by himself with God down by a brook, and an angel of the Lord showed up. They wrestled back and forth. There's a whole story there. And in Genesis 32, 27, the angel stopped and asked him, What is your name? And the Amplified Bible says, In shock of realization, Jacob whispered, I'm a trickster. I'm a swindler. I've been scheming people my whole life. Let me tell you, the truth can be very, very painful. But the pain of recognizing the truth and bringing it to God is so much less than the pain of carrying it around, never exposing it, never dealing with it. The pain of, of going through what it takes to get promoted is so much better than the pain of staying where you're at and never see God's blessings in your life. You know the good thing about God is when we get honest with God and when we bring him the crap that's in our heart, that's when he changes us. The truth is what makes us free. In verse 28, the angel said, your name is no longer Jacob, schemer, trickster, swindler. Your new name is Israel, Prince of God, and the angel declared a blessing on Jacob. I believe God was saying, Jacob, you finally took responsibility 
So I'm going to take you to that place of promotion that I promised you years before when you first started on your journey with me. What's your excuse today? I want you to, on your way home, throw every excuse out the window. Every B-show, every Mino, everything you got, just toss it out the window is a sign of faith. Just toss it out. I'm too short. I'm too shy. I'm too poor. I'm too this. Man, those are, there's people in the Bible, they got promoted and they had the same problem. I was thinking, and I'll close with this, Abraham said he was too old. Sarah said she was too impatient. Noah got too drunk. Moses stuttered and couldn't talk. Miriam gossiped. Jonah ran away from God. Gideon was insecure. Elijah was moody. David had an affair. Peter cussed. Paul murdered. Martha worried. Thomas doubted. Zacchaeus was too short. And Lazarus was too dead. And yet every single one of those excuses got wasted, got rid of, got erased, and God took them where he wanted them to go. It wasn't until they recognized it. So listen, today, I want you to get honest with God. That's what church is for, I believe. I believe it's for change, for alteration, so we can go out and serve better and do more for God. Today, let today be the day that you throw away every single excuse. It's no one's fault. Nobody else can't play the blame game anymore. It's just you and God. And I believe with all of my heart, if you will start this process with me of being promoted, I believe with all my heart, by the end of this series, things will change in your life and you'll have a testimony to give everybody in the church about how God promoted you. Amen?